Hello, and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. And if you're just getting into the podcast, uh, welcome, new listeners. This is our final episode of <laughs> Playwright's usual run. As we said before, we'll keep the podcast feed up and running, of course. Like the podcast will still be accessible. And I'm sure we'll get together from time to time when we want to just put out a new episode and release it on the feed. So if you've enjoyed Playwright up to this point, stay subscribed. We're not going to spam your feed with anything else, uh, but we might have uh, future episodes down the line. But as far as our weekly releases go, um, this is uh, this is it, baby. We said this when we originally announced that we were going to end Playwright's weekly run uh, a couple months back, but uh, just to kind of reiterate um, it's not that we are unhappy with the process of recording. Um, I think we've both really enjoyed it all the way through. Uh, we're not in a fight with each other or anything like that. There's been some creative differences. <laughs> There's no Yoko Ono breaking up the band here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just after, you know, after 200 plus of these things, um, this is our fourth anniversary show, we should say as well. That is kind of the point at which we decided to kind of tie things up. So happy anniversary to us as well. Yes. But uh, after doing this for four years, you know, it not being a topical show, we get to a certain point where we feel like there's just enough of it out there that if anyone's wanting to listen through and they get to the very end and are still hungering for more, they can probably start over at the very beginning and not remember a single thing. <laughs> so, you know, it's like it's like writing a book. We're not a topical show. We're not covering the news. There's no reason for us to, you know, keep going every week. We just kind of have to say, you know, we have enough of this content out there at some point and just be satisfied with that. So I think we both got to that point where we felt, you know, just happy with what we had done. <laughs> Yeah, we it's a it's a, a, an accomplishment we're both incredibly proud of and it it's also as you pointed out before a, a show that we think is will relatively stand up well I guess except for the 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 chatter maybe which can sometimes be more topical than anything but mm. you know the pitches themselves the ideas all of the ideas from the listeners over the years that stuff is still fun for me to think about even you know like you said 200 plus episodes in we have to search our own website to find out if we've talked about something <laughs> before. And um, we we know the show pretty well. So that just goes to show you just how yeah. much there is. In the time that we've been recording, uh, I don't believe anyone has created any of these games and have credited us. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone has created them because we've put the ideas out there. But we've definitely had a couple of games pop up that are eerily close to things that we've pitched and again like <laughs> if you want to create something based on what we pitch like you don't owe us any royalties or anything like that's totally fine uh, and we're not alleging that these people tried to pull one over and yeah, no. not credit like you know it's i think it's just a total case of you know great minds thinking alike and such but uh you know we've had a, a couple situations where games that we've pitched on the show have ended up real in in various ways to, to differing degrees and that's been really exciting um and i hope that in the future if our show does ever become irrelevant i hope it's because every game that we pitch ended up existing <laughs> in real life that's the dream <laughs> us with gray hair sitting together on the porch 
still recording episodes, but not publishing them for some reason. We're just <laughs> mm-hmm. and seeing uh, all of the games that came out of the the crazy ideas that we've talked about over the the, the number of years we've been doing this. But anyways, it's an anniversary show. It's the last show, and so we wanted to do something a little bit special. Perhaps we kind of set the bar of expectations a little high. Uh, in previous years, we've done some really fun stuff in the past. The E3 show uh, was my favorite. I think that was two years ago during E3 time for our second anniversary. We did a uh, a really great show in the style of one of those E3 stage presentations, and that was a that was a lot of fun. Um, this time, it's it's a little bit more kind of. A little bit more down to earth, but I think it's a good way to close the show, and it is going to feel a little bit more special than usual. So we're each going to pitch a game like we normally would. You know, we got one more left in the chamber that we can uh, get out there into the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, we are going to round out the listener pitches that we still have in the inbox. So we have five pitches that are that we have not been able to cover in the shows up till now, and we will get through all five of them tonight. So we're going to be dedicating a little bit less time than we would typically uh, to each of the listener pitches, just because there's uh, a lot of them to get through. We want to keep this a somewhat digestible length, not be excessive with the podcast length, (laughs) but um, we're going to be pitching uh, seven games in total this evening. So uh, I guess with that, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, why don't you start us off today? Okay. Well, my idea on this episode of Playwright is a co-op puzzle slash challenge game, almost like Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, where or It Takes Two, perhaps, where you have two players and they're presented with different sorts of challenges and one player can propose different solutions and then the second player has to change remix and reimagine uh and play off of the already proposed solutions this might remind you of a particular show that you've been listening to for a number of years (laughs) two people being creative at solving problems and pitching and remixing each other's uh solutions to those challenges Wow, very cool. Starting the clock. I, I, I think typically video game puzzles are not super open-ended, and right. I mean, they do encourage creativity, but it's not as open-ended as like a writing prompt where you really can just go in any direction. Usually there's kind of a prescriptive answer that you can approach in many ways, but arrive at kind of the same destination regardless. And so, you know, I think that uh, perhaps the proposed solution if it's intended to be remixed, it almost requires the first player to propose something that's like a little bit wrong or to <laughs> yeah. do some, or, or maybe like, maybe the second player is like screwing up a, <laughs> like a correct solution. <laughs> and so I, I was trying to think of like ways to kind of work around that, you know, how do we fit this kind of creative remixing paradigm into something that is a little bit more prescriptive than what we're doing here. And so I was thinking maybe there's kind of like kind of a double blind involved. Maybe there's like a, like a maze that you have to work through and Mm. each player can only see half of the maze or, you know, some similar task like that. You know, maybe there's tasks that each player only has 50% of the information. You know, you can see your friend's proposed solution and then you can kind of propose something 
back because you can see the the ways in which on your side it doesn't line up or it would be impossible. And then they can take that information, work out all the kind of loose ends on their side because maybe your remix kind of broke something on their end. And so, you know, you're kind of ending ending up working towards a collaborative answer mm. to a problem that neither has all of the information that they need to complete. And then once you both feel good about it, you kind of hit the button at the end, see if your, I don't know, if your wind up mouse makes it through the maze or whatever the the puzzle is that you're doing, or like a if it's a crossword and you have to see if all the words align properly or, you know, whatever. I like that. One of the things that kind of came to my mind also as I was thinking through this was the almost like the Breath of the Wild style. Breath of the Wild style. That's, <laughs> that's a common refrain. Breath of the Wild style power set and how it was very interactive and chainable uh, in all those sort of dungeon physics-y puzzles. But also, you know, what what would you get if you know, you've kind of had two links and what does the possibility space expand to now you can theoretically execute all four powers or something within a very short span of time, really making for wild um, kind of solutions, no pun intended. Yeah, maybe maybe the remixing and the, the problem solving is, I'm thinking about what we do here, right? Which is sometimes it's it's additive or it's changing. And if it was almost like a coding puzzle of like, well, we could mm-hmm. we could set it on fire and the other person has to be like, but what if the fire sprayed out like a cannon? You know, <laughs> so one person kind of has to put, you know, put a proposal out there. The other person has to tweak it. And then the other person's like, yeah, and it should probably have a gust of wind, too. And then you're like, yeah, but you know, the wind should be headed from the top direction. And so each, each ad or each remix now has a different, creates a different branch for what the next decision could be. And then the players could see set of steps or, or almost like programs in a robot play out in front of them, each other. Uh, I think that makes sense. Maybe you can maybe kind of take turns doing platformery type stages and the choices that you make on your side affect what your opponent is, or not your opponent, your co-op partner is going to be kind of set up for on their side. And you try to kind of read the signals that they're giving you, try to anticipate their needs, even though you can't see their side of the uh, of the screen. You know, I, I was thinking like somewhere, uh, kind of a halfway point between like, uh, the adventures of cookie and cream and keep talking and nobody explodes, you know, this idea of like hidden information, but also like a collaborative, fun video gamey adventure. Is the adventure also editable by the players is the path that they, or the, the encounters that they, is it almost like a, a switching off a dungeon master type relationship? Yeah, potentially. Um, you could think of it like, like I just, for example, like if we were to do a, kind of blind co-op Diablo, um, then let's say like you each had to kind of take turns going through the various rooms. And maybe when you're in the rooms, you have a choice over what colors of demons to kill. And as you, as you slay those color of demons, then that color is added to your magic pool 
and then the magic is effective against kind of a rock paper scissors uh, system mm. against demons of the opposite color and so if you are receiving like signals that your partner is fighting a bunch of red demons or something like that then maybe powering him up with yellow magic might be useful or you know something like that where it's like you need to kind of anticipate the needs just like instead of just going in for what you need to get through to the end of the dungeon yourself. I, w- I wonder if you could have a system where every encounter uh, or, or rather what if there was almost an adventure where it's almost like a Twitch plays and like you have an adventurer that is kind of making their way through a dungeon, but every single boss that they encounter, there's almost like a quick little co-op prompt where each of you gets three descriptors and we've talked about like scribble knots and things like that before. What if you could kind of go, uh, it was a pig and then you're like with horns and then I'm like, that breathes fire. And then you're like, it has a spider's head. It would kind of assemble the enemies in real time and that sort of thing. Yeah. Or maybe there's a way of using context clues to try to understand like the power-ups that your opponent has and you have to kind of like set the enemies that you think they would be able to defeat using kind of like a almost like a card counting system of what you what you think that they have so if they you know if you think that they might have picked up a giant fly swatter in a previous dungeon then sending a giant fly as a boss would be a really good thing for you to do <laughs> yeah. uh, versus if you send like a tiger, then they're not well equipped to deal with that. Yeah. It, it was, it would almost be, is the worry there that it would be like malicious to the player? I mean, if it's a co-op thing, you want to both succeed. And so you're trying to have each other's back. Maybe one of the things we could do is rather than having it be a single player or sort of format is two people that I, I always found this fun. Like recently I played some of Wasteland 3 and my brother, unbeknownst to me, designed this character that was absolutely insane looking. Like Wasteland lets you make a character that's like a foot tall and has uh, an, a, a giant hair the size of like, uh, I don't know, three human heads. And so my, my brother was this just <laughs> wild little thing and I made my character as tall and as large as possible. And so, and I, I think we just called our, uh, ourselves to something like hurt and pain, um, something really stupid, but I loved the idea of, um, and wish we could have designed each other's characters. So like the idea of like being on a co-op adventure together, but being sort of hamstrung or not knowing what character you're going to play, until the other person designs it for you. And you got to like use that as a starting point of developing a character. Maybe there's a, there's kind of a system of, uh, we're kind of over time. So I'm going to have to just make this, <laughs> this final little tag here, but maybe there's a system of like in, uh, RPGs and CRPGs, especially when you're kind of specking out a character in the beginning, you can apply a different kind of talent points towards different attributes. And maybe you kind of spec your, uh, your partner, or maybe one person specs both people, but you share a points pool. So the more points you put into one person, it's the fewer that the other has to work with. And so there's the temptation to oh. kind of screw over your uh, partner and 
you know, kind of minimize their stats and hoard all of the points for yourself. And so kind of a trust exercise. Yeah, I love that. And, and, and also you can, it means that every decision has to be made with both people and really talked about. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and close that down and let's come up with the name for this one. Oh, I, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting future nostalgia for our show and want to call this maybe something inspired by, have you seen Walk Hard, the story of Dewey Cox? <laughs> uh, no, I know the name though. <laughs> I actually think it's very much, you would, you would really like that movie. I want to call it Beautiful Ride. Beautiful Ride. All right. So what does that mean within the context of the movie? Nothing. No, his, <laughs> the final song in Dewey Cox is Beautiful Ride, and it's a summation of uh, all of the comedic and non-comedic events of the movie. Very nice. All right, that is your final pitch. (laughs) Uh, Ooh, how scary. (laughs) My final pitch is inspired by a game that I played a little bit of recently, um, doing some uh, capturing of screenshots and and such. Uh, So not entirely for pleasure, but uh, not the type of game that I would have chosen to play myself, but uh, I'm glad that I got to learn a little bit from it, and um, it kind of gave me this idea. So I was inspired by Arx Fatalis, which is uh, one of the early games from Arcane Studios. It's a kind of a Elder Scrolls-like first-person RPG, but it has an interesting control method in that you can switch between standard Elder Scrolls-y type of first-person controls of, you know, whacking things with swords and moving around in, uh, you know, WASD first-person and mouse look as well. And then you can change Mm. modes and go into like a point-and-click interface. And so it basically, you lose your ability to... You can still move using WASD or kind of strafing around, but you lose your ability to like mouse look and instead your mouse is just on screen and you can click on things. Is it like a mouse game? Yeah. uh, Kind of. It's more like a traditional point and click cursor has entered the fray. And so you can, you know, draw your character's attention to, so if there's like point and click style puzzles in the environment, then you switch out of oblivion mode into point and click mode to solve the puzzles. Cool. Um, but one of the things that you can do is you can hold down a key, your cursor turns into kind of this like fiery orb that you can use to almost like leaving the trails of a sparkler, you know, during a dark night, you can kind of, uh, you can kind of trace out symbols in the air in front of you using the point and click interface. And uh, that is how you cast magic. And so it kind of works like Okami in that way. Oh, yeah. Uh, except it doesn't pause the action. It's all real time. But you're just kind of drawing out these various symbols. And then as you go through the game to learn new magic spells, you're just learning these new kind of runic symbols that you can create. And um, very interesting system. And it made me think back to one of our earlier pitches, which was kind of a wizard's duel. And I was wondering if we can kind of incorporate into a wizard's duel this type of system of actually drawing spells using this kind of arcane language. And, uh, you know, you could, it would scale with essentially the knowledge of the players and how quickly and accurately they can draw these symbols out in front of them. 
And um, I think that would feel like you're really kind of tapping into some sort of like arcane magic. So I'm going to start the clock there. So we're wizards dueling and uh, we we cast as as well and as fast as we can accurately execute the spells. Yes. I mean, I think this is so cool and like the dream it, it has always I think like especially people who grew up with the Harry Potters of the world is to have mm-hmm. some semblance of that Harry Potter wand with just a flick of the wrist and the right words mm-hmm. that you would get the proper result. But I do love, do you remember in, I think it was in black and white that you could, couldn't you like draw or cast things in that game in some ways, like casting spells and that sort of thing? You know, I never actually played black and white before. I want to say that there was, like you could draw symbols on the ground and it would, depending on the symbol you drew, it would like rain. So you could water some crops for your villagers or Mm -hmm. it would, you know, I guess attack an enemy force or something like that. But the, the idea of being able to trace out the spells and know them and memorize them. I love the idea of this spells efficacy being tied to the accuracy of the draw. Right. So it's not just like, Hey, if you get the general gesture, right. It's like, no, somebody who can do it fast and accurately is going to get that much more of a, of a bonus. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, I, I kind of picture this being like uh, Dr. Strange as well. You know, he's always kind of, <laughs> he's going crazy with these big elaborate. And, you know, I think there would be a, uh, benefit to spending some time creating and crafting really complicated spells as well. And maybe there is, we even saw this in like the uh, Scarlet Witch uh, show from recently, uh, WandaVision, where, you know, there's some kind of runic uh, symbols that are being kind of traced and, and cast. But, you know, maybe you do want to, maybe like a beginner would immediately do kind of a simple shape that would cast fire at their opponent right at the beginning of the match and try to score some easy points that way. Mm. But maybe the the kind of pro players would cast kind of a simple shape that would act as a shield. And then from behind the shield, they can have some time to create kind of a multi-character spell. Uh, I would love it if there is like, if this is more of a procedural system that, uh, that can allow players to experiment with like the different orientations of the symbols and different combinations of things and you know creating things that might not even have been intended by the game's creators you know i want it to feel like a very open malleable system a very expressive uh as well but yeah kind of hiding behind a shield and taking some time to come up with the like a really good spell and letting that, you know, do the talking for you instead of just kind of getting out there and popping off a number of volleys of small spells. So is the imagined interaction that I'm in like Elder Scrolls view initially, and then to cast the spell, I'm switching perspectives or I'm because I almost imagine like a imagine a Resident Evil 4 style, like plant your feet, but then the way that you aim kind of in Resident Evil 4 is like it almost especially with the Wii mode it almost could be like planting your feet and drawing a spell in the air so am I able to navigate the environment in my sort of first or third person view or is it more that dialed out CRPG look I I actually view this as being really well suited for VR 
Yeah, uh, you course, know, I yeah. think we talked about that last time that we did a wizard duel as well. So I don't want to like ride too close to something that we've already covered, but to have this uh, first person perspective, you know, maybe movement is minimal. I don't want somebody to spend five minutes creating a perfect spell and then it to be like easily dodgeable by the opponent. Uh, maybe there's an aspect to that. Maybe the better spells are physically bigger as well and harder to dodge. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I certainly wouldn't want it to be like a mobile shooter, like a Gears of War or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, so we're not super, super running around. Yeah. I'm trying to think about the spell interactions and how, you know, the in the same way that you see these dramatic set pieces and fantasy movies of like, could it start to rain? And that, for example, incentivize different sorts of in the, in the way that divinity does this sort of stuff like interactions with now lightning magic that stuff will have a different spread and cascade and potentially the difference between casting a front facing shield and an actual shield bubble is uh you know a different level of elaborateness but also if you almost have like a a drawing mode I guess, to like trace things out, but then kind of a cast what you traced, it would allow the player to draw in a bunch of symbols. Just imagine drawing small little fire, 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 but all in this line Mm -hmm. in the environment and then being able to kind of corner your opponent and trigger the spell and then have a firewall appear and kind of block off an arena. And if they are trying to uh, go a little uh, dodgy on you. I'd also really love if there's like a like a vocabulary almost uh, within these magical languages of uh, doing like you know some words are like nouns, some words are adjectives. You know, there's modifiers and stuff like that. And so hmm. you know maybe you could cast a rain cloud. That is your noun, and then you can add modifiers. Maybe there's a modifier to turn it upside down. And so it's raining upwards. I don't know what that would mean or look like, but that's kind of up to the system to understand and interpret. And then you can keep applying modifiers and different sets of nouns and combination words. And maybe there's ways to cancel things out or to combine things together and, and just really kind of clever ways of, you know, I think about, um, Doctor Strange, especially, and how he's kind of drawing links between words. And it seems like where he draws the words in the space in front of him is important yeah. to how the spell comes out. You know, and it almost feels like those conspiracy boards, you know, with the little threads of yarn going between the different nodes. And uh, it's just like, I'd love to better understand and feel like I'm really in control of a not just like a powerful magic, but like a really academic magic as well. This is, of course, the inspirational foundation of The Legend of Zelda, Link Between Words. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think one of the, I, what I like about that too is potentially holding down a different button while you're tracing and drawing, you could do things like if if the fire symbol right like if that is a few strokes knowing that a drawing certain parts of that character with 
different colors or different levels of emphasis is it's almost, I think of it like a fighting game, right? In it that, uh, for example, in a NetherRealm f- fighting game, you can, and I think this is true in some other fighting games too, where you can kind of, you have a power attack move and then you can kind of hold down a modifier uh, to turn any, like what was a high kick into an ice ball for Sub-Zero is now, um, you know, a spinning high kick into a double ice ball when you hold down the modification key. And so you could almost modify pieces of the spell as you understood like, oh, the second stroke here of this spell cast or this word that I'm drawing, that is the part that controls, you know, the spread of the fire or the intensity of the burn. You, you yourself have to experiment and intuit with the parts of the physical spell cast in these different modes to see, oh, I can modify these in in this way and as long as it's not just like a clear winner of like well this is the one that's the best one always right because that's always boring in a in a multiplayer game you could have really situational spell casting as long as someone understands their their spells all right that's uh, enough time there let's give that one a name as well i mean i know i made a joke about it but link between words <laughs> That is funny. I, I do like that. <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good one. We can, uh, we can go with that. We'd have to have at least one pun, right? In the final episode. Yeah, I think we'd be... Uh, I mean, what are they going to do? Take our podcast away? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go over to our somewhat more rapid fire uh, series of listener pitches. These are the final five um, that have been submitted up to this point. Uh, we should say, if you would like to keep submitting things to us, uh, we do still intend to record every once in a while in the future, special yeah. episodes. And if there's anything in the inbox at that point, we will read it. So uh, feel free to continue to reach out to playwrightcast at gmail.com, at playwrightcast on Twitter, or go to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. And we'll read on uh, one of our future shows, but there's really no telling when that's going to be. So let's uh, let's get through these these final five. We have two coming from frequent submitter Micah Squera, one of our all stars here, who says, mm-hmm. "Really enjoyed the latest episode. It, it amazed me how much creativity you still show even after 200 episodes." Well, thank you very much. Uh, thanks also for the call out at the end of the episode. <laughs> I felt compelled to share a pitch. So how about a Super Smash Brothers style fighting game where all the characters come from famous works of English literature? For example, uh, Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream fight Victor Frankenstein at uh, Reichenbach Falls, etc. Sad to see things winding down, but I've loved all the work that you've done over the years. Congratulations. Well, thank you so much. We thank appreciate you, that. And especially from somebody who has contributed quite a bit to the show already. <laughs> so Yeah, thank you, Mike, really. All right. We have a Super Smash Brothers style game starring characters from works of literature. I knew this was going to, there was going to be a gotcha question and it's, does Ryan read a lot of books? And you know what? Maybe no. <laughs> My books that I'm reading are boring things like how to use a synthesizer and how to be good at design and product management. So I got not a lot of pulls here, but I'm going to be honest, maybe I'm cheating, but I would love to see maybe some art pieces in here too. Like, I, can I see 
the statue of David beat up the Mona Lisa. That would be fun. Or a melting clock by Salvador Dali, perhaps. The thing that excites me about literary characters is that we don't know what they look like. And the things that we do know about them are more kind of like characteristic descriptions. And so I think it allows for a lot of like freedom of interpretation from the artist to really go over the top with their, you know, I, I think back to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, not a great movie, but uh, <laughs> like an interesting concept where these characters from, you know, various works of fiction get together and go on this big kind of superhero adventure together. And it's like, that's, that's cool. You're using the talents that they expressed in the works that they came from uh, to, you know, as their superpowers, essentially, that's, that's like a really great concept. And I'd love to see, you know, each of these characters really kind of pumped up. Like, I, I want this to feel very over the top, like a Skullgirls or something like that, where the characters really are super exaggerated versions of the characters that they are in the books. You know, I, I think some of my favorites would be like, like Dracula, you know, of course, you can have a lot of fun with him. That's kind of an easy one. Um, Dorian Gotta Gray. Gotta get Sherlock in there. Gotta get Sherlock Holmes yeah. in there. Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I mean, Dorian Gray could be one of those characters where, <laughs> you know, he has, like, the actual character is virtually unheartable or does, you know, you do very little damage to him. But if you can get behind him and start attacking the painting, <laughs> then the health really starts to, to decline. So essentially you have this kind of risk award of this like anglerfish style yes. combatant who can get out in front and can be really aggressive and really fearless. Oh my God, you planned is this. protecting something that is otherwise no no i'm just i don't know (laughs) (laughs) this is too good you plan this come on i i I have not told micah square what to send in (laughs) it is not an anagram for ryan Heyman all these years I uh, <laughs> I was going to stop you by saying he says great english literature but he just says famous so that it totally counts what what about you get this what if we brought in some stephen king characters like Mm -hmm. what if we get it in there maybe we get little danny torrance from the shining and he's you know he's able to shine (laughs) and and bring in otherworldly ghosts to to enter the arena and fight for him we default to a lot of horror i think by by nature but i i wonder like what what kinds of over-the-top fantastical overhauls we can give to characters within more kind of grounded conventional genres you know we talked about sherlock but what about you know characters from like little women or pride and prejudice and stuff like that oh yeah that would actually be pretty cool so who's the oh my god jess would be so mad for me forgetting all the names of the characters in little women but the the one who's like the main one the writer she could Mm -hmm. have all sorts of like cool I, I just like the idea of designing the attacks in the same way that the Smash Brothers team has to figure out, okay, what does it mean for this character to have like a fighting move in some ways? And you could bring it, I mean, because right. it's, it's literature where you could actually get some Harry Potter characters and that sort of stuff. And mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to think. Joe, I think it's Joe is the main character in Little Women. But I like the idea of her being able to, you know, cast pages and and dress up in costume like they did in the attic and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, kind of go into different fighting styles or modes or that sort of thing. 
I also think that it would be really fun to introduce DLC characters the same way that Smash Bros does, you know, <laughs> that have like these big lavish cinematic trailers and, you know, stepping out from the shadows, Mr. Darcy joins the fight. <laughs> oh my God. Resurrecting from uh, a river of chocolate, Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Willy Wonka would be a great, he would be great. Cause he's got the like Oompa Loompa cysts. He's got the, He's got all of these kind of crazy candy attacks. It would be like Candy Crush all over your screen. What are some other famous... Oh my gosh, we have access to all the Lord of the Rings characters. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's funny because so many of these characters got get like movies as well. But we could bring in like Nancy Drew and get like some... Man, the... Yeah, the... Poirot. <laughs> Go yeah. for uh, Wooster and Jeeves. <laughs> You could actually have an entire, like, Harry, this is why it was only a TV show, right? It wasn't a, it wasn't a book, but you could have a whole, like, detective section of the map, mm -hmm. just like all those dang Fire Emblem characters, like, oh, another detective has been <laughs> added to the roster. The last thing that we need is another humanoid with a, with a magnifying glass. Come on. We could bring in Captain Ahab, have him <laughs> just... Yeah, Captain that'd be Ahab. great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whale that pops out of the ground and dives back in. That's very cool. And the stages, the stages would be so cool. I'm almost imagining too that the style of this game, you could almost. I'm thinking about Spirit Fair in my mind, something that feels like 2D but very expressive, and so you almost get that connection yeah, back totally. to the written page and the and the feeling of that paper texture. I, I had forgotten that we were kind of half-timing each of oh. these, and so we have gone a bit over there. So let's go ahead and give this one a name as well. Um, spine Breakers. <laughs> That's funny. Let me see. I feel like I'm close to something as well. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm very pleased with this. How about Do We Decimate? <laughs> do We Decimate? Yes. Yes, we do. I have to, uh, we, in all seriousness... Uh, very few people have done more for the preservation of knowledge than uh, Dewey Decimal and the entire Decimal family. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Decimal must be very proud of young Dewey and uh, all that he grew up to accomplish. So hats off. <laughs> and and, the, and it's come to this. You know, they're being talked about on this podcast, which is, you know, the pinnacle for many. <laughs> That's right. And the, the ultimate, ultimate honor. <laughs> okay. Micah Square back with another banger here. Ooh. A smartphone AR defense game. That players can play for exercise during lockdown. Oh, better get in quick then. <laughs> uh, players must defend their homes by shooting zombies or aliens, etc., out of different windows uh, around their homes using weapons with a variety of effects, slow area effect, etc. All right, starting the clock. I was just thinking this, this would re require an intense and immense amount of work but and not everybody's lucky to live in like a quiet neighborhood where this is a safe thing to do but imagine a tower defense game where there actually was like a crystal like in your neighborhood like in one of the streets of your neighborhood and the streets themselves were the paths that enemies could roll in towards and you'd actually have to physically kind of run up to and get within your view your phone camera to plant down towers to help eliminate uh, eliminate uh, the enemies that's a great idea it could be this kind of like minecraft earth 
Or is that what yeah. it was called? That game that was canceled before it ever came out of beta? <laughs> yeah, I have The thing that was a good idea, kind of, but didn't really happen. Yeah, I don't know why that one. I mean, I have some guesses as to why letting the community build a bunch of blocks that anyone you could see later on would be <laughs> something that didn't end up working out. But uh, I, I don't know for sure. Would be interested to hear a postmortem on that one. But anyways, this could be interesting as like one of those MMO type of community experiences where entire neighborhoods could come together to protect their cul-de-sac from, you know, attacking orcs or something like that. I think it would be fun to have like the Dungeon Defenders-esque level of powers so you could set up little blockades. So if you're for example, I mean, like it, it would exhaust you to run up and down your street. So setting up these little things, you're like, okay, this is, I get one plant to like cut off a route. So I'm not going to have to run down the street over there uh, for the next 10 minutes or something. But, you know, getting someone to be up and moving around to control the flow uh, is kind of fun. So you have these like temporary barriers that can be smashed or broken down or when a boss is spawned, you can you know, the camera is theoretically close enough to you to stick your arm out and maybe you've got a cool little magic wand or cannon or something and you can, you yourself can defeat some of the enemies and along with the towers. So I'm kind of stuck on a couple of things here. So if this was, if this was a single player type of adventure, you kind of have to define your own boundaries. You know, maybe you would have to kind of AR trace out the space that you'd want to use. I just, I I don't see what would incentivize people to use large spaces, you know, which would be the intent to get people lots of exercise, uh, running between things and setting up towers. You know, I think people would default to basically defining the play space as being something very Very small small and very manageable. You know, we were lazy by nature, (laughs) but if this was something that was kind of like global scale based on actual maps, uh, MMO style, the thing that works so well about Pokemon for MMOs is that Pokemon are just kind of like, they just hang out when they're not being interacted with. And so you can go and catch them, but otherwise they're happy to just kind of chill. But if you are, if you're defending against kind of attacking armies, there's not really that same level of like chill and downtime. Like somebody has to be there to protect. Otherwise like Mm -hmm. the crystal is going to be destroyed or whatever it is. And so you know, I'm, I'm kind of having trouble balancing those things. What if we're thinking about the format and the time scale uh, in an impractical way? Like, what if this was a running app and you set your home, your apartment, wherever you live is the like central hub, like you're defending, like Mike outlines here. And then the then essentially the streets that are all around your house not highways that we'll say we're smart enough to not do highways, the streets that are all around your house, those actually have like very slow approaching creeps. And I mean like slow as in they're going to take days to actually reach your house in real life days. And so you go out and you're like, okay, today I'm going to run this route and that's going to clear off, you know, this block of enemies. And then I guess tomorrow I'm going to go do a half mile over here and that's going to get these folks. In a, and now you can run, you can walk, but as long as you do the route, the GPS kind of keeps track and clears out that lane for you. So now you can exercise really your own level of intensity, 
but you there's always like a reason to head outside and it's just like you're defeating these enemies that are always making their way towards your house it's probably not a great <laughs> mental state to be in in the uh in covid but i i do like the idea of it feeling way longer paced and just getting you giving you a reason to go take a walk that's all the time that we have there let's give this one a name as well this is like town defense not even tower this was a cardio uh exercising tool that would be the primarily like how it would be marketed we could call it heart attack Exactly the vibe that you want to elicit um, <laughs> for an exercise app. Yeah, I, you could all you could call it heart defense because it's heart health to do cardio. Heart defense is. I, I think that kind of works. <laughs> uh, sure, I'll take it too. If you'll take it, I'll take it. Okay, heart defense. Thank you very much, Micah Squara, for both of those and for contributions throughout the years. All right, we have one from another all-star. This is from Chesney Mooncalf, who says, Hey guys, hope you are both well. Sorry to hear that you are finishing the podcast so soon. (laughs) Well, it's been four years, but, you know, last year didn't count for a lot of things, so... Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I guess I'll have to find somebody else to sign up for all these mailing lists now. Oh, so you were the one. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that, actually. It was uh, gave us some fun kind of fodder whenever we were running a bit low in the inbox. Yeah. Uh, but thank you both for all that you've done. As with the other wonderful podcasts out there, you guys have really been great help in the last year, especially. You have a great chemistry together. I hope you continue to collaborate in the future. And uh, yeah, we certainly will. Thank you for indulging my many submissions of half-thought-out nonsense. I'm always shocked when one of my pitches has made it to the podcast. (laughs) Uh, This whole lockdown business has really been a drain on my creative juices, so I'm struggling to think of many pitches these days. But here's one question that might interest you. What if Nintendo made a Civilization game? It It could be set entirely within the Mario world or perhaps the... Mario Civilization versus Zelda versus Animal Crossing versus Pokemon, etc. Um, I have this nagging feeling that you may have already done something like this, but I looked through your episode history and couldn't find anything. By all means, disregard it if you've already explored the idea. We never do anyways. I think we've we've had a few that have kind of overlapped in the past, and uh, that's our challenge to take it in, in a new direction. And uh, I this does not sound familiar to me, so uh, let's let's give it a shot. If Nintendo created Civilization, my first instinct is that they would try to make it really accessible uh, rather than trying to kind of like meld in new IPs or meld in existing IPs. Like sometimes they do that. Sometimes when they're casting out in something entirely new, then they'll create kind of like a standalone IP just for that. And, you know, kind of like a, a Rhythm Heaven was its own thing. And Sushi Striker is its own thing. Splatoon was its own thing. Mm. Not really kind of within the Mario world, but there are certain instances where like Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Battle, where they will kind of like loan out the credibility of their other IPs to uh, uh, to boost up a, a new effort. But I, I think Civilization is fairly accessible already. And so I'm trying to think of like what, edges can really be smoothed out um, in the same way that like Mario and Rabbids did smooth out a lot of edges off of XCOM and made mm-hmm. that really like a pleasure to jump in 
as a newbie without having to kind of like wrap your mind around a lot of really difficult systems right off the bat. Civilization already has the Civilization Revolution series as well, which is also already kind of a simplified version of that. So what kind of like of open goals do you see within that kind of genre that you think could be simplified in ways without reducing the fun of a Civilization game? Well, one thing for sure, and Civilization Revolution kind of pointed us in this direction, is way, way, way shrinking the map. Like, I I think so many times I have started a civilization campaign and ended up just <laughs> just really going out and out and out on it um, just because the, you know, the fact was that, like, okay, there's too many nations, too much complexity, um, and, you know, it takes forever to get through one turn. I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. I also think that you'd want to you'd probably have a simpler system for I guess the only way to to kind of call it I'm I'm thinking in my head is like diplomacy. It's you'd almost want to mm-hmm. just have very simple ways of like keeping the other nations happy and I would imagine Nintendo would probably find some creative workarounds to the solution of like violence and nuclear war in a civilization game as well. Yeah, that's that's interesting because diplomacy is actually a pretty complicated win state in civilization. You know, yeah. I think the war is very easy to understand. You know, I think we can all basically understand what war is, how it happens, what the victory and loss conditions are. But when it comes to diplomacy, especially negotiating with CPU players like that that becomes that becomes tricky to uh to communicate unless you're really gonna make the uh, uh either really heavily index in writing like something like a crusader kings or uh really kind of like make very compelling ai i'm trying to think about does the mushroom kingdom have enough sort of proper nouns and verbs to flesh out a civ game like, could you be, or even Splatoon, like Splatoon has the very obvious thing of like, can you send out a little painter delegate to actually like paint in the map for you and whoever owns like, mm-hmm. almost like the Zerg, whoever owns the most like painted space on the map becomes the winner. And it's more just like a territory control thing than it is. But I guess Splatoon does have, I mean, you get splatted, right? There is some level of violence in there. Splatoon also has this kind of pop music kind of cultural scene baked into it as well, which I think would translate really well into like a cultural victory or even like a religious mm-hmm. victory in uh, in a civilization type game. So while the actual battles are taking place with guns and such uh, in the kind of typical non-violence platoon style, you could also set up like a main stage in uh, in a neighboring enemy civilization squares maybe not where the barracks is located but where their kind of cultural centers are where the people live or something and then you can convert those people into fans of yours and that that space now becomes contested territory instead of their territory exclusively and maybe you know after a couple of turns you can you can gain that for yourself so now those resources are going to you instead of going towards your enemy so you know, ways to kind of undermine 
So you're not just indexing in your army the entire time. I also have to assume that like in the Mario universe, the Koopas are sort of their own people. I like the idea of playing as we've already got the pastiche of all the Koopa cousins and all, all of that sort of stuff. So if each of them were their own leader and your main your main castle that you establish on the map, uh, you get to choose its focus and the focus could be like the mushroom, like grow my civilization and make the borders get larger or <laughs> the firefly flower and make my civilization stronger against any attacks I do or, or, or any sort of in, you know, incoming attacks maybe, or, you know, you get kind of just like, a. You could you could focus on things like the I was going to say raccoon tail, but maybe the feather is better, and that unlocks like flight technologies or something like that. But mm-hmm. I like the idea of having very simple things that leverage our understanding of what each of the sort of Mario powers are to paint the table of like, hey, this is how you really simplify the management of a civilization. We're not so much doing tech tree stuff as we are like if you complete very simple tasks and you're focusing on the right things, then you will be able to build a Koopa boat and go nuts. I really love exploring in these types of games more than I like actually engaging with enemies. And so, you know, when it comes to RTS or turn-based strategy games, just, you know, going out there and seeing what I can find finding all the lucrative tiles on the map and where they're located. If I can find a way to build a mining outpost somewhere like that's the, that's the part that's exciting to me. Yeah. Uh, But we are out of time there as well. So let's give this one a name also. And we already do have kingdom metal. Something like mushroom kingdom builder would be, would be effective. I think. Yeah. I was going to say for the first time, we actually do have a super Mario world on our hands, but I think we've also done an open world Mario game pitch before that may have stolen a name like that. So yeah, well, what were, sir, were you calling it the Mushroom Kingdom? Mushroom Kingdom Builder, or if there's like a, there's a nice way to kind of like tie that into an existing pun or something. Mushroom Civilization. Mushroom. What if we called it like Mushroom Kingdom? I guess Kingdom already is the thing. What if we called it Mushroom Kingdoms? Pluralize. Yeah, let's let's find another word. I, I think okay. we're close on another word. Yeah, I'm thinking about like castles, borders, territory comes to mind. Fiefdom comes to mind. <laughs> long live the mushroom kingdom. The kingdom's dead. Long live, long live the kingdom. Long live the mushroom, mushroom kingdom. King. Come, mushroom crusader king. Oh, that's interesting. God, it does feel what what. Oh, what if we? Is it? If we put it on like a little Mario globe, we could call it like Mushroom Kingdom Revolution, just like Civilization Revolution. <laughs> yeah, that's fine with me. And technically, you you can revolt against the other kingdoms. That's right. Mushroom Kingdom Revolution. Thank you, Chesney Mooncalf, for sending that one in as well. We have two final pitches here, uh, both coming from another one of our all-stars, Bobby F., who says... Thinking of a city builder survival game, yes, the game yes, starts yes. with you creating <laughs> a character and picking their job. So blacksmith, miner, hunter, etc. So that job you are very good at, but everything else you are just okay at. At first, you have to do everything yourself. At first, you have to handle everything. 
but as the game goes on, you will meet and or save other people who will settle in your land and add their jobs. So over time, there is less that you have to do for yourself. All right, start of the clock. So it's a city builder game where I I'll, I'll choose the the hunter for example. I am very good at hunting, but I've also got to fashion weapons and build houses and collect rocks and that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, this reminds me of one of the earliest pitches that we've done on the show of kind of a heist style game where you're planning out kind of an Ocean's Eleven style heist and you are roguelite style kind of given a random specialty at the beginning of the game and you have to choose how many people with other specialties you want to hire onto your team knowing that the more people you hire the more splits there's going to be the more you know people you have to cut into the final amount so less money you're going to walk away with and also the higher chance there's going to be a rat amongst them mm. and so you have to kind of weigh that you know I, I like this feels very kind of positive you want to keep adding people to your kingdom because more people allows you as kind of the early adopter in a way to rise through the ranks and to rule over a more robust kingdom i can see this scaling really nicely uh kind of like a fable three to from a personal adventure to uh you know international kingdom management type of uh system i like the idea of <laughs> it's it's actually a bit of a video game fantasy right like you're fantastic at one thing and then you're just okay at everything else like you'd be you'd be mm -hmm. i imagine a pretty terrible blacksmith if you were just a hunter but the the idea is that i am like as a hunter i'm going off and maybe able to what like my city will have the bonus of like a a surplus of food and game to feed the citizens and so that will help it grow so i can eventually get a blacksmith or as a blacksmith, like I make enough things and I can sell them so my city has a good economy and that will help me one day hire a hire a hunter, for example. And that's the thing as well. It's like, how do you inspire those first people to join you? You know, how do you make your prospects appealing? Because if you're just like a, basically like a do-it-all survivalist at the beginning of the game, like how do you tempt somebody else to join your civilization. Maybe there are games like this. I, I, you know, games like Medieval Dynasty and stuff like that, where it is kind of a more boots on the ground style town management type of game. But, uh, you know, I, I love this idea of kind of transforming from a RPG or a survival game into more of a resource management, kingdom management, diplomacy type of uh, title. I think that's cool. So how do we imagine, I guess like I'm thinking about the city builder loop and, and I, you know, selfishly, if like, if I, if I, my brain goes to like the city skylines type of thing, it's kind of a space where you are just focusing on like growing. And then as you have growth, the demand for things increases. But this, since this is almost Valheim-like in the skills, right? Like somebody who can make mm -hmm. weapons. Is, although Valheim is kind of one character can can theoretically do most of this stuff. What, how do we get to the loop of the city management versus like the role management? I almost feel like there's city builders happening on like a Diablo town level slash layer. Does that make any sense? 
I, I haven't played a lot of Diablo. How does that? Uh, I'm just thinking kind of like, oh, a Diablo a town is, you know, uh, the uh, blacksmith in a corner, and then the potion person in a corner, and then like a hunter's hut mm-hmm. in the corner, and that sort of thing. And so like it's it's less a whole city that you're building as much as you're building like a thriving town where you can kind of go up to each one of these booths and say, okay, this is my, this is my desire uh, for this thing. Um, I'm going to switch to, to doing blacksmithing at the moment. But I I also like world of Warcraft style by doing blacksmithing over and over again. Aren't I going to get better at it? Maybe I don't. We are out of time on that one as well. (laughs) Oh, these five minutes. I don't know if we, I don't know if we finally landed on it, but that's the challenge of these, uh, these five minute, you know, halftime uh, discussions here. So let's let's see what we can do with that as far as a name goes. I'm thinking of like Jack of all trades in some ways. City of all trades. City of city of all trades. That that's that's really trade, cool. Trade actually. city is also not bad if you want to get shorter with it. I don't know about that. <laughs> city of all trades or even city of trade is interesting. Yeah, city of trade has a good ring to it. We are a city of trade. I, I like that. It has like a mythic quality to it. All right. Uh, that will do it for that one. Bobby F rounds us out with our final pitch of our playwright regular run with a very pithy breakout, parentheses, Arkanoid game, but it is a Metroidvania. <laughs> All right. Starting the clock. Uh, have you seen Quomp this year? Oh, no. Is it an Arkanoid game? I have to Google it. It's a, so Quomp, uh, Q-O-M-P, is a game, uh, it's kind of a Metroidvania-ish. I don't think it requires revisiting old sections, but it is kind of like a, you're kind of going through these corridors as a ball, but essentially you are the ball from Pong, who has broken (laughs) away from the tennis table and is going on this adventure. And basically all that you can do is choose when to bounce aka kind of change your trajectory on Mm. a you know 45 degree angle and so you're kind of using that and bouncing off walls and stuff to navigate these challenges solve puzzles uh it's very creative game uh that came out earlier this year and so i'm thinking something like that uh something that really kind of literalizes the blocks and the balls and conventions of of Arkanoid and Breakout, and because uh, I love Breakout and and those types of games, and how do we how do we make that into something that feels a little bit more more uh, free scrolling? Um, there's there's another game we've referenced on the show before called Hold Down, that is a uh, mining game with somewhat Breakout types of rules where phone game where you can uh, uh you can basically bounce these uh you know these balls around various blocks that need to be broken so that you can descend deeper into this mine mm-hmm. so maybe something like that maybe you play kind of a a ship that flies around you know you have your kind of dual boosters on each wing that you can control using the analog triggers to kind of point yourself in the right direction then you can you can collect uh, balls from the environment. Maybe they're like, maybe they're, you know, bulbs or nuts from the local fauna that you can pick up as you go. And then you can like supercharge them and blast them 
And basically you also want to kind of, you want to blast it in a direction. It'll do a chunk of environmental damage and then it will uh, reflect back and then you can bounce it back after that. And, you know, the longer you keep it going, the more maybe the, the larger explosions it makes on continual volleys, maybe, you know, you get more bang for your buck if you do the actual task of, of playing breakout as you go instead of just kind of firing one off. One of the things that I think would be cool is there was one power up. I forget if it was in breakout, but there was one power up called like the magnetic power up. And that was essentially whenever the ball would touch the paddle, it would stick to the paddle. So I like the idea of being able to kind of jet around as the paddle with your own sort of launcher ball stuck to you and kind of go to different sections of map, almost like uh, Yoku's Island Express or something, mm-hmm. and then be able to kind of launch your ball. But Metroid style, maybe each screen has an enemy or some enemies on it that, you know, have a random chance of spawning and you have to launch the ball and hit them. And then there's also walls that you need to consistently break down. So you might find yourself in these arenas where there's enemies attacking you, which could damage you. And there's also like, you can't, maybe you can't even defeat the enemy or, or in in addition to defeating the enemy, you, you have to also like break away the entry to the next room so you you can you can have the kind of like no combat run of I successfully dodged all attacks and I got to the final you know place that I needed to be to get a magic you know whatever <laughs> the thingy but you could also have like a heavy combat run of like defeating enemies and maybe those have the chance of dropping all sorts of fun temporary or permanent power ups to the paddle I love the you know, to me in these games, I love the joy of like the ball splitting uh, power up and like it feels so good when you've got like 30 of the balls on screen and they're just bouncing all over the place and you're doing your best to to catch as many as you can in the chaos. That That sort of stuff feels cool. And in the same way you go through like a Dead Cells run and you're like, oh man, this power combo is so good or a Hades run, right? this combo so good right now. How do I, you know, I could beat the game like this if I just can keep going. Yeah. You know, picking up powers as you go, but uh, also I I want this kind of balance of like, like a affordable space adventure, you know, where you're just kind of like somewhat difficult to control ship uh, angling yourself with the boosters so you can get the Mm. the proper angle on, on the ball that you're hitting backwards, Uh, you know, just enough control to, feel like there's really something to master without it being completely taken out of your hands, but difficult enough that you really have to be, you know, on your, uh, on your guard to, uh, to avoid, you know, enemy damage and such. Uh, but also, um, tying in elements of monster hunter as well, where, you know, most monster hunter weapons, there's an attack or two that you can get off that will do reasonable damage. But if you can keep it going, then, you can charge up to the really devastating attacks. And if you tried to get through some of the harder fights, just doing your kind of pot shots, you're going to be there for hours. You know, it's, it's you yeah. can eventually win, but like, that's just not the way to do it. Like you really have to plan things out ahead of time, get those r- risky shots in, you know, charge up your, your blade with uh, extended attacks. So, you know, these, 
really kind of incentivizing these long volleys, uh, again, kind of like a lethal league and lethal league blaze, which we talked about recently as well. Um, incentivizing long volleys by making the kind of resulting shots more powerful. Uh, but again, th- we are coming up on time on that Ooh. one lightning rounds here. So Bobby F that was uh, another submission there. What are we going to call this one? Arkanoidvania seems pretty easy. <laughs> what did you call it? Arkanoidvania. Arkanoidvania. That's it. That's the one. <laughs> uh, all right. That will do it for our show today. That was the seven pitches that we had lined up for all of you today. Uh, we'll talk to you again at some point in the future, but uh, yeah, I guess it's I guess it's just it's uh, for us to just kind of thank all of you for listening to thank protodome for every <laughs> week letting us use the hello world theme song which we have chosen ever since episode one uh, has accompanied us and has been just one of my favorite parts of the show making process like i'm just really glad that we have like a awesome theme song check out the rest of protodome's work as well it is uh, uniformly excellent chiptune jazz music yeah and i think thanks to this show and thanks to protodome just being a, a, a really cool uh music artist i have developed a verbal tick where i have to say all of special thank you to protodome <laughs> for the use of our theme song <laughs> hello world off the album blue noise when you're listening to that go listen to now you have now this is this is these are your options now. You got to go listen to the Cannon Runs podcast. You got to go listen to the Sausage Factory. Two other shows that are just putting in the work, the time, the quality, week in and week out. And uh, it's just been from the day that we got to make our show just a small little corner of the Cannon Runs larger show portfolio. It's it's been really wonderful just to. Just to even be relatively associated with it, but also the opportunities of just all the great podcasters that have been either able to fill in as guests. Thank you for all the guests that have filled in for me over the years. And thank you to all of our special guests that came on on a whim of like, hey, I'll go share a crazy idea with the show that maybe I'm taking a chance on or um, is over here that I've never heard of. And yeah, it's just been it's been wild and wonderful. That's right. And thank you, Q, as well, for joining me on this adventure for all these years. It's been uh, a lot of fun, basically barely missing any weeks in the entire four-year run. Like We've been remarkably consistent, and it's uh, it's been a really kind of fun part of the, the week to look forward to and um, a good challenge to keep the creative juices flowing. <laughs> We joked before we started, but I, I sent sent you that message of what's going to happen when you don't have me going, can we please move it today? <laughs> like, there's been, it's so hard, right? And I think this, this show is a testament for just for myself uh, in some ways, but I hope it is for, for listeners too, of like, we have days where we start the show and we're not entirely sure what the idea is going to be. We have days where we go, I I have literally multiple episodes, 10 minutes before the show, not known what the heck the idea was going to be. AJ, I've, you've, you've formed the ideas in real time in front of me sometimes. It's incredible. On your hardest day, on a day where you think you don't have it in you to be creative, to try something, the, I, I think the, the enduring 
message that this show left on me is, well, just try. It doesn't have to be the best thing. It doesn't have to be the fanciest thing. But if you just try, you're going to find something there and you'll surprise yourself. And uh, I think one of the things that we wanted to get across to people over the years is that you know, we were able to do this not because even we are especially creative people. Like, I, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Ryan Quintel here, but uh, I know that I'm a kind of brain rotted by too many video games, if there ever was a living <laughs> manifestation of that term. But you've got such a deep bench. You know so many games, man. It's <laughs> crazy. It is crazy. So many times I'm like, you're talking to me about a title and I'm like, furiously googling it in the background <laughs> going like okay i have to see what gameplay of this thing looks like that i've never heard of until right now <laughs> there are trade-offs but <laughs> I, I think we want to impress upon people that there's nothing special or unique about us we just gave ourselves a challenge to try to come up with something new every week for four years <laughs> and just the sheer like just the challenge of making ourselves do that is enough uh, enough to, I think, pull this, this huge quantity of games that we've created here out of us. And I, I really think that anyone in the audience has it in them to do something similar. And, uh, you know, if, if you have an inkling of a creative venture that you would like to do, you know, there's mm -hmm. really nothing holding you back. Like I, I think people are just as capable as any of us to do something like this. And, you know, it just starts off with coming up with something small every week, but after, you know, enough time, you end up with a huge log of, uh, you know, really impressive array of, uh, ideas and concepts and stuff. I always felt, and this was kind of a fad that kind of came and went during our tenure together, but some, and I guess some people still do it. You know, those like 100 day challenges where they're like, every day I'm going to, you know, do a drawing every day. I'm going to go, you know, do some exercise or whatever. When I hear about those and I see people do them, I think, oh my God, I could never do that. But here we are. We did a 206 week challenge. It feels... Yeah. It feels now, right, and in this moment, like we did an impossible thing, but it really was one one foot in front of the other, and and in some weeks we had some weeks where it was like uh, it's it's just not going to happen this week, and literally the next week we would make a commitment of like, well, we're going to get two in next week. Um, mm -hmm. and so it wasn't always like, okay, well, it'll always be there. You'll always have a great idea on a Tuesday night. It was okay. I, maybe we're dry this week, but can we make it up the week after? And, you know, Ryan, without you, I could have never have done this. So thank you. And thank you as well. And, uh, I mean, just, it's only been a couple of weeks since we literally did 100 ideas oh on the show God, what a so. stupid idea <laughs> whose idea was that that was mine wasn't it oh my god why did <laughs> but, i suggest uh, that? i mean what a way to I, I mean after all these years to be able to pull out 100 new and fresh ideas like that i'm impressed i'm proud of what we've done here and uh, i think this 
episode has probably gone on for long enough already. Uh, but thanks everyone for listening over the years. If you haven't listened from the beginning, um, we encourage you to, I guess, start again from the you know very beginning. There are probably episodes that you haven't heard, and they're going to be just as fresh and relevant now as they were uh, back when we debuted them four years ago. So um, these are episodes that don't necessarily have an order or anything like that. So feel free to jump around and I'd say kind of pick and choose, but the episode titles aren't that descriptive. So (laughs) it's basically random what you're going to be getting on each show. Uh, But uh, yeah, I I hope there's, there's plenty out there to keep people interested. And I hope that we are able to inspire people to uh, to get a little bit more out of themselves than they would have thought that they were capable of giving otherwise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with that, I think that's a nice way to uh, to round off the podcast recording. No, uh, no redacted game or anything like that <laughs> at the end of this week's show. Good. No chance of failure for me. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're both going out <laughs> victors, so let's not ruin the streak. Um <laughs> Uh, that is, uh, that'll do it for us today. And we, we will catch you again at some point in the future, but I don't know when that's going to be just yet, but, uh, Q and I will be getting together a couple times during this year. So I'm sure we'll get something recorded and out there on the feeds again. Um, <laughs> but thanks so much for listening and we'll see you when we see you. Feel free to get in touch, uh, at playwrightcast on Twitter, playwrightcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're always happy to hear from people as well. We'll be there. We'll be listening. I'm not, not going to sign off my usual way. Instead, I'm going to just say, I'll see everybody at episode one. Time is a flat circle. Mm-hmm. <laughs>